This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming today. Welcome to today's panel discussion in the library hosted by the Arab Student Union. As you can see, our title today is Young and Arab in America. My name is Nina Shoman Dejani, and I am the coordinator for ESL curriculum instruction and transition within the Department of Learning Enrichment and College Readiness. Uh, many of you know me as advisor of the Arab Student, Student Union as well. Um, I've worked at Moraine for almost four years. It's been a wonderful experience. Um, I've had the pleasure of teaching some classes here on campus as well. I've taught history of the Middle East as well as um, several classes in our intensive English language program. So I may have had some of you as students in my classes. I'm going to be passing around a clipboard today. Actually, one of our students up front, Hanan from the Arab Student Union, is passing around a clipboard. What it is is a sign-up sheet for the Arab Student Union as well as a stack of brochures so you could learn a little bit more about what this student club is about. Um, for those of you that might, may have attended meetings or events in the past, you know a little bit about the Arab Student Union, and today's panel discussion is just one example of some of the events that we host here on campus to educate our campus and community more about the Arab culture and traditions. So feel free to sign up. Um, we also have a Facebook page. You can like us on Facebook and get announcements and updates there as well. Uh, if you sign up on the sheet with your phone number and email, we'll make sure that we stay in contact with you about upcoming events. A couple of years ago, we held a similar panel discussion called Young and Arab in America. And at that time, it was in the U building. Uh, my colleague, Suzanne Nasser, who's in the back, moderated that panel discussion. And we held it during Arab, in Arab Heritage Month, which is traditionally in November. Um, it's celebrated here on campus and throughout the Chicagoland area. And that panel discussion specifically focused on young Arab Americans that were born and raised in this country. Today, you will meet some students that weren't born in this country, but have a lot of experiences and rich experiences from their experiences um, growing up, living overseas, and then also living in the United States. The purpose today is really to show the diversity of experiences of our students um, that they've all had being young and Arab in America. We'll get a sneak peek into their lives, and perhaps many of you will be able to identify with some of the stories that you hear today, regardless of what background you come from. As a first-generation Arab American myself, I can say firsthand that it is a del delicate balancing act sometimes to show allegiance to both my Arab heritage and my American identity. Some of us grew up in households where we were warned not to be too Americanized. But at the same time, we were reminded that our families came here for a reason, to live out the American dream, and that we should take advantage of all this country has to offer. Arab Americans today also deal with the constant battling of stereotyping that's portrayed because of the images that are portrayed in the media about Arabs and Muslims. And many times we find ourselves defending who we really are as opposed to what people think we are based on what they may have seen on TV. Arab Americans have used several different creative outlets to express their identity in recent years, especially in this post 9-11 world. Some have used poetry, spoken word, hip-hop, and comedy as ways to educate others about Arab heritage and culture. 
In a moment, you will hear from one of our most celebrated and well-known spoken word artists in our community. Her name is Jihad Ali, and we're very happy to have her here with us today. Being Arab in America is not just a, just a topic of panel discussions at Moraine Valley. This is a topic that's being discussed on the news and throughout universities and colleges across the country and around the world, and has also been the topic of many books that have been published in recent years. You hear about books called A Country Called America, Air Brutes and American Stories by Alia Malik. There's also been books that have focused on some of the stereotypical images that many people um, know to be associated with the community. And there's books called How Does It Feel to Be a Problem? Being Young and Arab in America by Mustafa Bayoumi. Our flyer for this event was based off the cover of this book right here, which is a graphic novel by Tofik Al-Rasi called Arab in America. And I highly recommend these books for anybody that's interested in learning a little bit more about the struggles that Arab Americans have in the post-9-11 world. Today's discussion will be in two parts. Um, we have a guest speaker, Jihad Ali, who will, you will hear from in just a few minutes. And then we also have many panelists, as you can see here. We have several students that have volunteered to be on our panel. And when I first uh, discussed this idea with some of our students and the Arab Student Union started planning this event and we revisited the idea of holding another panel discussion, we had tons of students that flocked to the idea of being able to share with their campus some information about themselves. So just seeing that so many students were very excited about participating, I think is a testament to how much they care about sharing information about their identity and their heritage with our campus. So we're going to start with Jihad Ali, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Um, she's not only a community member, a well-known activist in our community, but she's accomplished so much. She's a good friend of mine and a former colleague, and I'm thankful that I'm able to say that. She's one of the most accomplished Arab youth organizers in the state. Her relationship with the Arab American Action Network began as an AmeriCorps intern before joining its senior staff as a youth organizing program coordinator. In 2006, she founded the Alliance of Young Women Activists, also known as AWA, which joined Arab, Muslim, and other young women in a safe social and political space. As a well-known spoken word artist, her poem, Eye to Eye, discusses the struggles of Palestinians living under occupation. The poem was sought after by Outlandish, a multi-award winning hip-hop trio based in Denmark, who used her words to write their chart-topping song, Look Into My Eyes, which was released by the Sony label. Jihad brought spoken word poetry and hip-hop instruction to silent echoes, the Arab American Action Network's youth activist formation. Recently, Jihad developed the first ever healthy relationships program and curriculum for Arab youth. The program serves as a model for domestic violence prevention that Arab organizations across the country are hoping to replicate. Jihad regularly speaks at conferences and trainings across Chicago and the U.S and was one of a handful of Chicagoans called upon to present evidence of racial discrimination to, to the United Nations Special Reporter on Racism and the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination in Geneva in 2008. 
She's been honored for her social justice work several times by the Southwest Youth Collaborative and also by the National Network for Arab American Communities and the Arab American Institute's Emerging Leader Award was given to Jihad in 2010. She has grew up in Chicago and in the southwest suburbs and is the daughter of Palestinian refugees. Jihad is also the co-founder and past member of the Palestinian Solidarity Group of Chicago on the executive committee of the United States Palestinian Community Network and as a leading organizer of its national conferences in both 2008 and 2010, she set an example for youth across the country on how to organize on a large scale. Jihad Ali is a graduate of DePaul University where she studied sociology and Spanish and just recently was the recipient of the 2013 Impact Award from the Chicago Foundation for Women. It's my pleasure to welcome my former colleague, good friend, and our community uh, activist and spoken word artist, Jihad Ali, to Moraine Valley. Thank you. Hello, or assalamu alaikum. Anybody here speak Arabic? Are the people in the Arabic classes speaking Arabic, or just are you an alif batastal? Um, so thank you for having me here. Uh, it really is an honor and a pleasure, and, and it looks like a beautiful crowd. Um, I only have 10 minutes, and so I would like to share with you from some of my own experiences growing up as an Arab in Chicago and also as a youth organizer in the community. I've been working with young people for 10 years, and not only Arabs, although primarily Arabs, but also African-American and Latino youth. And I see a lot of similarities across those groups. Um, and so as I speak, sometimes I'll be drawing on my experiences specifically with Arabs, but then I will also be speaking about things I've noticed across all three of those groups, um, regardless of their national origins or ethnic background. Um, I just want to see by a uh, show of maybe raise your hands, uh, how, many of he how many of you here identify as an Arab? How, so how many of you guys consider yourselves Arab, whether you're part Arab, whether you're Arab American, Arab immigrant? Raise your hands. Okay. So the way you're raising your hands kind of seems like I'm a little embarrassed, you know. Well, you know, of all places, you probably don't have to be embarrassed in this space. But I want to talk a little bit about that idea of being embarrassed, of, of being an Arab, unfortunately, growing up in the United States. But before I get to that, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that Arabs are this homogenous entity and that we're all the same. Um, I think that uh, especially growing up in the United States and the messages that we receive in our media and in Western media in general, there's this idea that Arabs are all one and the same. D can you nod your heads if you agree with that? And please feel free to disagree. Uh, that this is uh, the space to do that and have these conversations. We don't often have these opportunities, and so this space is really important. And the Arab Student Union at this campus and at other campuses are very important, especially as Arabs and Muslims are very popular in our media these days. They're very popular, meaning that we're talked about all the time, but we're not very um, popular in the sense that we're not the cool kid on the block right now, right? So what about this homogenous entity? Are we all the same? And uh, I think that there is a political agenda to us 
uh, appearing to be the same in the media. I'm not going to go into that because that's a whole new, uh, dif a whole different event. But I want to talk a little bit about this myth that Arabs are all the same. And in, and probably you've, you've, maybe some of you know or maybe some of you don't know, but that Arab and Muslim have been come to be used interchangeably. And so if, if somebody says Arab or if somebody says Muslim, sometimes, for one, that's not the same thing, right? Um, if somebody is Muslim, that speaks to how they identify religiously and what they practice. Somebody is Arab, it typically refers to their national origin or the language that they speak or where they identify with in terms of their, um, their parents', uh, parents histories or ancestors. So they're two different things. So, for example, we have such thing called Arab Christians. <laughs> Are there any Arab Christians in the room who want to identify? Right? But these, this group is often dismissed. And so there's this idea that all Arabs are Muslims. There's this other idea that some people think that all Muslims are Arabs, which is actually false, right, because Arabs are a minority um, in the Muslim world. In the United States, we're even a minority in the Muslim community here. So those are some things that I want to just put out there. We're not the same. Arabs are different. Now, in terms of Arabs in the United States, let's talk about us for a minute. Are we all the same here, Arabs in the United States? No, we're not. Um, you know, I grew up in a home in which both of my parents are immigrants. Anybody else grew up in a home in which you were born here, but your parents are immigrants? Raise your hands. I'm going to ask for a lot of audience interaction. And part of the reason is because it's important for those around us, not only non-Arabs, but even your Arabs, um, Arab brothers and sisters that are sitting right next to you, to see that we're not the same, and that's important. I grew up thinking everybody was like me. For a little bit, I thought all Arabs were grown up the way I grew up. So I thought that both of their, both of their parents spoke Arabic, and that if, if somebody in the family didn't speak Arabic, that was weird to me. Everybody's supposed to speak Arabic. Well, um, growing up now as an adult looking back on my childhood, of course, you're learning things all the time. I'm still learning things today about my Arab identity and the word that Nina used, balancing that Arab identity um, and my American identity. That growing up, there were times where I did not want to say I was American. That my parents taught me that you're Arab. Don't you ever say you're American. You're not American. You're Arab. You know, how many of you guys had parents like that? They'll tell you you're not American. I see some smiles. It's okay. You're embarrassed. You don't want to raise your hand. But then you come to realize that whether you want to be or whether you don't, you are American when you're born and raised in the United States and you have American values and cultures. Um, and sometimes you don't even realize that they are until you sit back and think about it. So here's some other things that I think um, in terms of our, this homogenous entity that's put out in the media, um, this idea that if you're Muslim, you're all really religious, Right? And again, growing up, I thought everybody was as religious as my family was. And actually, my family was not very religious. Come to find out as an adult, my family was actually more cultural than they were religious. But that a lot of times, things that were cultural traditions were taught to me to be religious traditions. And I didn't realize the difference as a young person until I got to college. And then I met Muslims who were not Arabs or Arabs who were not Muslims. And I started to understand things I have in common with Arab non-Muslims and things I have in common with Muslim non-Arabs. Um, so that's, that's another thing, is that there's this idea that we're all religiously the same. We practice, you know, all of us pray five times a day. That's not true. There are many Muslim families who are secular, who really don't practice, but they still identify as Muslims, just as there are Christian families who don't go to church every Sunday, right? Um, and there are Muslim families who don't go to the mosque, maybe but once or twice a year. There, there's this, uh, I heard this a while ago about, you know, the, the Easter or Christmas Christians, did I, did I get that right? 
Any Christians in the audience laughing? Okay. And there are Eid Muslims. So there are Muslims that only go to the mosque on Eid twice a year. And, and that's a reality for our community. But of course, um, it's, it's a continuum. So it's important to put that out there and understand, as you hear from our panelists, that everybody practices differently. Everybody um, calls on parts of their identity differently. Um, the idea that people all speak Arabic, all Arabs speak Arabic. Raise your hand if you're not too shy to admit it. If you are Arab but don't speak Arabic very well. Okay, so there's some hands that went up. And raise your hand if you're upset because your parents didn't teach you Arabic. So, you know, I see this a lot with my, some of my cousins um, and even some of my siblings whose Arabic, their, their Arabic is not that great. It's broken Arabic. Um, did anybody go to school with Latinos or Mexicans, specifically Mexicans, because there's a huge Mexican community on the southwest side of Chicago that were in Spanish class, and you said, you're Mexican, why do you need to take Spanish? How many Arabs are in Arabic class? I took Arabic. I had to take Arabic. It wasn't my first language. My first language is English. I, grew, I was born and raised in the United States. So those are some of these, the, the myths, right, that all Arabs speak Arabic, all Arabs understand. A lot of my, most of my siblings don't read and write Arabic, and probably most Ameri Arab Americans don't read and write Arabic. So that's important to keep in mind um, as, as, we're, as we hear from our panelists. And the other thing is, and growing up, I, I was quite judgmental of my Arab brothers and sisters who, you know, didn't speak Arabic. What kind of Arab are you? You can't be Arab if you don't speak Arabic. You must be Americanized. Right? So there's this idea, and I see smiles from some of the Arabs in the audience, that if you don't speak Arabic, you're not Arabic enough. You have to approve your Arab identity. Um, so I, I'm, I'm saying some of this because we have to remind ourselves that Arabs are no different than any other, other group, whether it's uh, another, people, another group of people of color or, you know, our, 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 our white neighbors and community members. We're all different. We're, we're on different levels in terms of our religiosity, not only in terms of our religiosity, but also the faiths that we choose to practice or not practice in terms of our language abilities. Um, I have Arab friends and colleagues who, who speak Spanish better than they speak Arabic. You know, uh, my reading and writing in Spanish is better than my reading and writing in Arabic. And it's because I, sp I studied Spanish here and because it was more available than Arabic in the United States. I could take Spanish as a second language in high school. My high school didn't offer Arabic, for example. Um, so I, I want to put that out there. The other thing I want to talk about is the first and second generation of Arabs. How many of you are, consider yourselves first generation Arabs? So that means that you were born in the United States, but your parents were not born in the United States. Okay? And how many of you are second generation Arabs? So your parents were born and raised here. Okay, a couple. And how many of you are like split status? Like I have, my dad is an immigrant, but my mom was born here, or vice versa. Okay, a couple. Um, so that's another thing, is that sometimes the Arab community is considered um, an, only an immigrant community. And that's really interesting to me because um, most of the Arabs that I know and interact with, if they're not my relatives, are Arab Americans. And they were born and raised here or they came here when they were very young. And that's something to keep in mind, too, is that those experiences and those aspects of one's identity will play a role in their personalities, in their interests, in their hobbies, in their lifestyle. Um, and it is ultimately up to that individual what they choose to hold on to from their Arab identity or what they choose to adopt from their American identities. And so we're all different on, the, on those, you know, in those different aspects. Uh, I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago. I was born and raised here. But I identified very strongly with my Arab identity. It could be because my parents were, uh, or they're both refugees, 
and they, it could be that they were so attached to the homeland and still are like most Palestinians I know. And so they, they fed me that I was not American and you're an Arab. Um, and I remember very clearly in the fifth grade. Now, fifth grade, I was about 10 years old. And the teacher said, if you are an American, stand up. Now, my fifth grade teacher was quite a patriot. And um, he said, if you're an American, stand up. There were two people in the whole classroom that did not stand up. And the two people were the only two students that were not white. And the reason is because I associated white with American and American with white. And I didn't realize I was American. So the, the two people sitting were, were me and a Mexican girl. Now, the teacher noticed that we were the only two not standing up. And he said, if you were born in the United States, you're American. So let's do that again. If you're American, stand up. And everybody stood up. Now, and that was the first time I realized I was an American because I grew up thinking I wasn't. And I was taught that I was an Arab. And I, and I had to learn, like, oh, that's what it means? So if I'm born here, I'm American? And shortly after 9-11, not shortly after 9-11, the day of 9-11 and September 12th as well, right, and, and following and ever since, there's been this idea that um, Arabs are not American and, Ara I'm sorry, Arabs are not um, interested in being American. And I don't know that really it's a choice. Like I, was not cho I did not choose to be born in the United States. So I didn't, in other words, I didn't choose to be American. Now, in terms of what I adopt as part of my identity, that is my choice. But I didn't choose to be an American. Now, I can choose to wave the American flag or not wave the American flag. That's my choice. But I didn't, I didn't have a choice in whether I was an American or not. Now, it seemed like shortly after 9-11, we had to reclaim this American identity and say, wait a minute. You can't take away my Americanism because I was born here. So it's not your choice whether I'm American or not. It's not my choice either. I was born here, and therefore, I'm as American as you. In fact, I may be more American than you, and the reason is because my parents are more recent immigrants to this country than your parents. right? So the, the idea that America is a country of immigrants and the children of immigrants. Arabs are a more recent group of immigrants to the United States. And so that, you know, I started having to reclaim this American identity that I felt was being taken away from me. That you, Jihad Ali, with a name like Jihad Ali, and physical characteristics, and parents, you know, Mohdiya and Ghazi, who don't, whose first language is not Arabic, you can't be an American. So was that true, that I can't be an American because my parents are immigrants? Well, I had to remind myself that Everybody is an immigrant or the son and daughter of an immigrant unless you're Native American. And I think we all have to remind ourselves that this is a country of immigrants. Now, we constantly claim that we're a melting pot and we want to celebrate that. And yet, look how many acts of injustice and how, how often people of color and specifically immigrant communities are, are mistreated and their rights are denied. Or, or how often... Um, this idea that they're not American or they don't belong in America is, is, is projected. Um, I, I, I don't want to take up too much time. You know how much more time do we have? A couple of more minutes. So I want to talk a little bit about this. When Nina emailed me about this event, she used the phrase negotiating identity. And I thought that was really interesting because when you think about negotiations, you think about like give and take, right? Like a little bit of compromise. And I, and I thought that was a really good phrase to use. Um, growing up, I thought that I had to leave my Arab identity at the door when I went to school. Because the school I went to, didn't, the students didn't look like me. 
I grew up in Tinley Park at a time in which Tinley Park was white people and farms. There were no Arabs. Tinley Park now has a much, a, a much higher population, a, a bigger population of Arabs in Tinley Park. Anyone here live in Tinley Park currently? All right, 20 years ago, there were hardly any Arabs in Tinley Park. Um, I know Nina's also in Tinley right now. I know she recently moved, but I think she's still in Tinley. You know, so there is a, a growing population of Arabs in Tinley Park. But I thought that being one of the first Arab home, uh, families in Tinley Park, that I couldn't be Arab. Um, this is interesting, right? Because I can't exactly hide the fact that I haven't always worn hijab, the Islamic covering. But at a time in when I did it, which I didn't wear hijab, I still didn't look white. Right? I couldn't change my skin color. I can't change the texture of my hair or my physical features. So I definitely didn't look white. But my name is Jihad. And Jihad is often is pronounced in the media as Jihad. Right? Not a very friendly term if you don't know what it means. It sounds like it's violent. And the reason it sounds like it's violent is because we're taught that it's violent. And actually Jihad is simply a word that means struggle. And so I didn't know that growing up. I thought my name meant holy war because that's what the media taught me. So when people would ask me, what does your name mean? I would say holy war. And I thought that was cool. It wasn't cool after 9-11. At that time, I was like, I have to find out what my name really means. Um, but prior to that, as a young child, I didn't know. I didn't even know um, really what it meant to be an Arab. I thought it just meant you go home, you eat makluba, you know, Arab dish. Your parents speak Arabic. Your mom yells at you to go clean your room, throws a babuj at you, slipper. You know, and that's, that was being Arab. I really didn't understand. And so I hope that uh, from there, young people, you'll, you'll come to learn what it really does mean to be an Arab in the United States and how, how diverse that we are. It doesn't mean, uh, so another, uh, just a couple other points. It doesn't mean that you're always eating makluba, all right? Arabs do eat grilled chicken. We barbecue, okay? <laughs> right? There, uh, so we've drawn both of our identities. There's not always an Arab meal in the Arab home. There's not always Arabic spoken. I speak English with my siblings, for example. Um, Sometimes, though, there is a time in which you feel like you cannot be your full self. And that's a really difficult feeling. And I've had to challenge that time and time again, in which I'm still jihad. I don't need a nickname. I don't need to pretend that my name is something else. You need to learn how to pronounce my name, just as I've learned to pronounce your name correctly. I had friends, for example, I had a friend, let's, say my, let's pretend my friend's name was Jennifer. My mother didn't have to give her a nickname. She wasn't suddenly Jumana in my house. She was always Jennifer. And my mother would just say, Jennifer, or whatever, right? So you pronounce my name. I don't have to suspend my identity um, because I'm in a, let's say, a non-Arab space. The challenge is that we're in an environment that is not very friendly to Arabs. And that is what, when we work with our youth in the center, I just want to talk about that really quickly, and I'll pass the mic. When we work with our young people in the center, and I work primarily with high school students, that is the challenge, is getting these young people to celebrate their Arab identity and not be ashamed of being Arab, despite having a media that is not friendly towards our community, despite their peers in schools, even if they do it as a joke and they think that it's funny, it is not funny. It's more harmful than it is um, funny, and, and, you know, like making fun of their Arab identity or making random sounds in the hallway because they think that that's Arabic, you know, like... I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, you get the idea. So how do we work with these young people to get them to be proud of their Arab identity, not be ashamed, not feel like they have to pretend to be something else? So many Arabs that I've worked with, unfortunately, have pretended to not be Arab. I'm, I'm Italian or I'm Mediterranean, right? Uh, Mediterranean is cool, but Arab isn't, <laughs> you know, or um, even in terms of their religion, you know, like well, my parents are Muslim, but, you know, I'm American, so things like that, you know, where, where like they're, they're even suspending 
entire, entire parts of their identity to feel like they fit in and they feel like they're more acceptable. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And other times it's just, it's wrong because there are, although many people of color have to do this and, and struggle with their identities on this level, the majority of the people in this country don't have to do that. It's typically people of color, and it's typically immigrant communities who feel like they have to suspend parts of their identity, leave it at the door when they enter a setting, a public setting especially, or schools, and feel like they have to conform to the majority. I think that there is a balance. I think it, it, there is a way to negotiate where you can hold on to your Arab identity, celebrate your Arab identity, and be American, and be whatever, what have you, wherever, whatever country you're in, um, and, and be a healthy and responsible citizen and resident of that community. So I'm going to pass the mic, and I will be around. I'm going to be sitting in the back with my daughter, and if you know anybody who wants to talk to me afterwards, I'm going to be passing around some um, postcards. This is a little bit about our program, and this brochure here is a little bit more about our organization, the Arab American Action Network. We're on 63rd and Kedzie, but we hope to be coming closer to the southwest suburbs, and um, please be in touch, especially if you'd like to get involved with us. And I'm going to pass it back to Mike Camino. I really appreciate you being here today, and you've really set the stage very well for our panelists who we're going to hear from now. I know you guys are all excited and riled up after that wonderful uh, introduction by Jihad. I'm going to start by asking each one of our panelists to introduce themselves, and then we have a set of questions that are going to facilitate, just facilitate the discussion today, although um, if some of our panelists bring up topics that diverge from our original questions, it's fine as well. Um, we have about 35, 40 minutes to hear from our panelists, and then we're going to open it up for questions and answers. So if you have questions for Jihad and our other panelists, I just ask that you hold on to them until the end of, uh, of our uh, discussion, okay? So why don't we go ahead and start at the end of the table. Yes, we'll start to my right all the way at the end. We do have a few students that have to leave to class at 1, so if you see a few of them sneaking off around 1 o'clock, they're not scared of the audience. They're here because they want to be, but they're good students and they want to get to class, so go ahead. Hello. Uh, my name is Yazan Ghani. I am uh, I'm, uh, here attending Maureen Valley uh, for the uh, first semester. I am... Uh, born in California, San Bernardino, and uh, I lived there for a year after I was born, and then I moved to uh, overseas in Tormosaya. Uh, I uh, lived there for five years, and uh, after that I came back to California, lived there for another two years, and I came to Chicago. And uh, after that I was just born and raised, uh, actually not born, but raised in Chicago, and now I'm here in Moraine Valley studying uh, radiology. And that would be it. Thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Mundo Tarawne. I am half Jordanian, half Palestinian. Uh, I went to Argo High School. I was born and raised in Chicago. I'm here at Marine Valley for first semester and hopefully going to transfer to UIC for electrical engineering. Hi there, I'm Hanan al Masadi. I was born and raised in the United States and then exactly Tinley Park. I went to Andrew High School and I'm half Lebanese and I'm half Palestinian. And I go to Marine Valley, now this is my last semester here. I am going hopefully going to be majoring in business and be going to Governor State after. 
Hi, I'm Zena Shaibi. I'm Palestinian. I was born here. I lived in Saudi Arabia for five years. Um, now I'm going to Marine Vale and hopefully transferring to Governor State or St. Xavier for either business or psychology. Hi, my name is Alaa Mustafa. I'm here at Marine Valley. Next semester is my last semester. And I'll be going to St. Xavier transferring, and I'll be going. I'm born and raised in Chicago, and I'm, my major is childcare. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Ayman Mustafa. Uh, I graduated from STAG. I'm Palestinian, and I'm planning to study management information systems at Marine. Assalamu alaikum. I'm from yeah, I'm from Palestine. I was born and raised in I was born here in the states, and I was raised in in Jordan. I studied there till 11th grade, and I came here my senior year. I finished 211, graduated from Stag High School, and I'm transferring next semester to UIC studying as a civil engineering. Thank you from uh, the audience for that warm welcome. I'm sure that you made our panelists feel very comfortable. Um, for some of our panelists, they've spoken public several times before, and they feel real comfortable. For some of our panelists, this is the first time they're in front of a big audience. So thank you for being so, so warm, and thank you to our panelists for being here today. So one thing that we heard as they introduced themselves were some of our panelists lived overseas. Some spent the majority of their life overseas. Some have visited overseas. So for those of you that have spent some time overseas, tell us where and a little bit about your experience there and how it has helped you or even maybe hurt you, who knows. What, how do you look at your experience overseas? How did it affect your life as an Arab American? Well, where I lived overseas, I lived in Tarmusaya, uh, Palestine. Um, as you know, some, uh, some parts of Palestine is uh, uh, overcrowded by Jews, uh, Jewish uh, soldiers. By where I lived, uh, y usually you don't see the soldiers over there, but they do stroll around with the uh, sometimes. And they uh, one of the bad things about that is whenever they come, they sometimes set uh, curfews. Uh, so they'd be telling you you'd have to go um, inside at some certain time. And other than that, uh, people would pretty much do whatever they wanted. Uh, I'd always be riding on uh, my little bike. Uh, uh, when my mom would ask me to go get some bread for her, I'd just go on my bike. And with my little clip on the back of my bike, I'd just go get the bread, and I'll hook it up to the back. And I'll How old were you when you were living in Palestine? Uh, I started, uh, started school over there, preschool, until second grade. So around like five until like eight, around that. And uh, yeah, it was there's just a lot of freedom over there, and uh, it was just really fun. And I wish I could go back. I haven't been there in 11 years, and uh, I hear from a lot of people that it has changed. And I really hope to go there soon. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, I went to Jordan for two years. 
uh, growing up, English was my first language, so I had to go back to overseas to learn my roots. How old were you when you went um, to Jordan? I think I was around 10 or 11. I went for 6th grade and 7th grade. Um, over there was a whole different experience for me for school-wise because uh, it was uh, separated schools, so it wasn't co-ed. Um, girls would go to their own school. Guys would go to their own school. I went to a private school, Uxa, and uh, whenever I would talk out of term, the teacher would call me up and he would hit me with the stick, and which I thought was like really, really bad. And then like they would be like, oh, they like they thought I was related to Bush. Everybody disliked Bush, and I'm like, I have no connection to Bush. Um, so that experience was pretty like bad. But uh, for me, Jordan, I'm man. I had like a bunch of family members over there, so. I had fun. My my parents would be less strict on me, and because they know I would, where I was at every moment, and everything was like nearby, so I wouldn't have to walk a lot or anything like that. So it was a different experience for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I lived in Amman for five years. I was there second, third, fourth grade, and then I went back for college, and then came back here. Honestly, I liked it there more than here. Um, and my parents were not strict, like Munda said. They're like we're laid back because we're always with family, and we're like we're not like not like here. We're just they're afraid of for us. They are overprotective where we go, who we hang out with, where do we like our friends. Where they want to know who are our friends, where we go, and like they're they're overprotective here. I think, and I think I was more safe in men than here. So you felt like your parents were a little bit more open, more laid back overseas because yeah. you were around family and they knew the environment that you the were environment. in. The environment. Okay. One of our panelists spent a large part of his life overseas. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Diad, and, and why you decided to come here? I went back from after I was born here. I studied till second grade, and then I went back, me and my family. We had a small family. We went back for me, my dad, and my sister. So we went back to Amman. I stayed there till 11th grade. There, like education is more tough. It's better. It's harder. So when if you go there for high school and then you come back here, you'll see everything here easier. So I came here my senior year was an easy year, and then also college. I covered most of the stuff in college in Amman, like studying there. So we came back here my senior year. I just said that. So it's easier, like here. Easy life when you when it gets to college and you could work, you could go to school, you could do more than one thing. And Amman is just about school and uh, education from here is way better. And after getting your degree from universities, so yeah, that's why we came here. Main reason was to school. Thank you. So just from hearing from that first question, we've learned the some of the diversity on our panel. We have students that have lived in Palestine near the occupation. You you mentioned the occupation in Palestine. A student that lived in Jordan for a couple of years and was immediately associated with George Bush <laughs> as a child. Imagine how traumatizing that must have been. And um, you know, other students that lived for several years overseas and had a you know a more liberal mindset of parents living overseas and some that came here for education and are still here for education here at Moraine Valley. So just from hearing from a few of you, I could tell that you have a range of experiences. Some of you touched a little bit on, um, you said it was easier when you came some of the subjects, but one thing that we find sometimes is our students struggle uh, with English when they come from overseas. 
uh, if English was not introduced to them in the household. Uh, in our pre-panel discussions, we discussed Arabic, and Jihad spoke about that in her introduction as well. So I'm going to talk a little bit about language. How valuable is language in your household? Arabic being spoken, was it instilled in you? Was it something you were taught? Um, and also, if you'd like to talk about, you know, how do you balance speaking Arabic and English if your family does both? Go ahead. Um, I believe that speaking Arabic in the household was very important. I uh, grew up speaking, learning Arabic and speaking English at the same time. Um, I thought it was very valuable because those are our roots, and we want to keep those descending from generation to generation and not just stop here. Imagine, you know, your kids speaking to you in just English. You want to kind of compromise the Arabic with the English. So I went to Arabic school for nine years, and I thought that it um, helped me out very much, and I speak to my parents in Arabic. Um, I speak to my dad mostly in English, but with my mom, she doesn't really speak English that well. So me and her just kind of have conversations just in Arabic. She'll ask me a few words, what does that mean in English? I'm like, oh, and I start telling her and helping her out with that, and then she helps me out with Arabic, writing, reading. So I thought that that was pretty valuable. Um, my household, it's a little diverse. My parents will talk to me in Arabic. I'll talk to them in English. My dad, actually, sometimes, he studied in uh, London, so his English is pretty well, so he'll talk to me in English. But we also have in our household where it is very important to know Arabic because, well, we are Arab, and we, you know, we also deal with people who don't really speak English. You know, Hanan, her... Mom, I try to communicate with her in English. It doesn't work. So I do have to learn. I really do have to learn Arabic and really understand how to communicate with others, especially living in the community that we live in. You could go to, an, like, the Arabi store, and, you know, the old grandpa sitting behind the register, he's going to talk to you in Arabic, not What's English. The, can you tell us what is the Arabi store? What are you referring to for those that are not? That. <laughs> One of our audience members at 95th and Harlem is the Arabi store. Can you explain, please, what uh, the Arabi store is? The Arabi store is basically a small store with, um, that sells, you know, Arab goods such as, like, um, like sweets, um, hummus. I mean, basically everything and anything you need to, like, make an Arabic or Arab meal. Um, but honestly, it might not seem like you... You might not need to know Arabic, but we're still surrounded by it. We still need to know, and it's important because it kind of does not define us, but, I mean, it is who we are somewhat. Well, since you mentioned going to the store, you know, let's say your parents send you to the store to get some goods from the Middle Eastern grocers, do you feel more pressure in this community in particular? Because we do have a large Arab and Arab-American population on the south side. Do you feel like in this community in particular, it's important to know Arabic? Um, honestly, yeah. But I feel like anywhere you go, you'll you'll find someone who's you know an Arab and who doesn't really, especially an older person. You know, there's so many stores around here who is owned by Arabs that you really do need to know the language just to communicate better because you might know English, but they might not know as well. Anyone else? Uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you going to say something else? I just was going to say, like, I have some Mexican friends who speak Arabic right now. 
yeah? Like, yeah, it's all over. <laughs> wow. That's Did you and teach them, or oh, yeah. they learned on their own? Okay. <laughs> yes. For some reason, we have the tendency to do that. One of our audience members said they know the bad words, but that's because you're teaching them that. You're teaching them the good words. Yeah, buddy. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about cultural traditions. Um, you know, some of you mentioned some of the traditions you've been able to share with me, some traditions that your families have. Share with our audience, what are some cultural traditions that are important to you and your family? Um, and tell us a little bit about that. Um. Go ahead. Yeah, then or Monday. All right. So uh, one of the um, most common things that Arab have are something called Azuma. You guys know what that is? Uh, that's Tell us what that is. Yeah. Uh, that's basically a huge family gathering, uh, just like a family uh, reunion. Basically, uh, they all gather around in one household, two or three different families, same family. Um, and then uh, they all just uh, wait around until the food is done cooking. They put all the food on one table. Uh, what kind of food? Uh, that would be either, for me, my family, that would be either makluba. 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 Um, mansaf. Msakhan. All right. Those are one of the three most common uh, meals that, my family does when uh, we have Azuma. And after that, everybody just eats, has a good time, conversates, uh, just catches up uh, with one another. And uh, can't, of course, can't forget about, no, uh, that we do not encourage smoking. Uh, Go ahead. Do you want to explain what that is? Argila? Yes. Argila is um, the Arabic... Uh, the Arabic hookah, um, you put some shisha on, in the head really, with the foil, and then you put the charcoal. Then the it's not illegal. It is not illegal. No, it is not. And some people put. use it as an after-dinner mint, right? Yes. So um, Sometimes it is recommended. <laughs> Actually, we don't. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Tell us um, uh, if you'd like to share one of the family traditions you had. You had mentioned something on Sundays that your family does. No, we'll take it out. Um, every Sunday, my dad would take the day off, and uh, he would cook for the whole family, and like he'll give my mom a break. And the one of the main reasons I learned about, about I learned about the Dean or like my religion was from my dad, and he would uh, bring my my brothers and my sisters, and he would sit us all down, and he'll tell us uh, stories about Rasul uh, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu and uh, and Sahaba and on the story of Adam and the Shaitan and, and you have all to that. remember some people don't speak Arabic in the audience, so um, telling stories about Prophet. The, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, may peace be upon him. Um, his uh, the devil uh, about uh, like heaven and hell, and he would sit us down and tell us all these stories, and that's the main reason I learned about my Deen. And um, then he'll sit down and tell us about the, like the Arab culture and how it was for him growing up here in my like growing up back then, and then how he came here when he was only 17, and all the things that he had to change and do like that. So, and till this day, he does it every Sunday. He takes a day off, he makes us food. We all sit down, we have a gathering, we talk, and uh, it's been going on, and I hope it goes on for many more years to come, because that, that is my family tradition, something I have in my family. Thank you. I also have the same thing. I thought it was just my family, so I was kind of like, Dad, why can't we go out on Sundays? And he's like, no, it's family day. It's for us. So I'm like, okay, I'll stay. 
Um, but I actually thought that it was just my family, but then I figured out, like, I had family in California, and they were like, oh, family day Sunday, and I'm like, you guys do that too? So I just thought it was a thing that my family did, but I guess a lot of uh, Arab people do that also, so I thought I'd share that. And non-Arab people and do that. And non-Arab people. <laughs> Amen. Um, big traditions for me and my family are on our holiday Eid. We all meet up at one of the houses of a family, normally our house, and then we all go to Toyota Park is normally where the prayer is held. And over 25,000 Arabs are meeting to pray. And uh, Muslims. There's 25,000 Muslims that meet, and we all pray together. And then there's, like, huge events that happen. Our family doesn't stay for that. We normally all just go to someone else's house, and then we all eat together. We exchange gifts. It's a big holiday. And then we all just relax and talk, and, like, the kids and the adults kind of split up, and then you just hang out for the rest of the day, and you enjoy yourselves. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dia, did you have something else that you'd like to add about traditions? We have the tradition, like, for all Muslims. It's, like, it's called the Aza. It's after every somebody, whenever somebody dies, they go somewhere, like, after they bury him, they all go have, like, a dinner or something, and then it's like opens the three days, everybody go visits, they go visit like the family, the family of the guy who died or whoever, so yeah, that's for all Muslims, three days, yeah, it's a three days, sometimes one day, here in the States, one day. Well, thank you for sharing, we've heard traditions about food and cooking and... Oh, there's also Ramadan. Yes, and we'll talk a little bit, if you want to talk a little bit about religious traditions, those of you that... Um, um, want to share anything that's a tradition in your family based on religion? Uh, Ramadan is a, it's a, a holy, a holy, mm-hmm. a holy month for uh, Muslims, where uh, what depending on the month it would be 30 or 31 days where we wouldn't eat from uh, sun up to sundown, and it's not just the eating part; it's uh, where you actually you. you you tap into your, your, your holiness, basically, where uh, you, you don't do anything bad, you don't curse, you don't swear, you sully, uh, you pray five times a day, uh, you, no drinking water, no smoking, no, it's like you, you're, an, you're an abstinence, All you, the only thing you know is like God and, and yourself, like that religion and yourself, that's all you know for 30 days, and patience, but when you do it, like, like God rewards you at the end. It's worth it, and it's it's Ramadan. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Can any of you tell us a little bit about maybe your high school experiences? Um, sometimes, you know, as we talk about balancing our Arab American identity, we um, struggle to sometimes participate in some activities that our parents may not have wanted us to, or some parents have no problem with it. So, can we talk a little bit about when you were in high school? Did your Arab identity keep you from participating in any particular activities? If so, which ones? And if not, then share with us um, some of your experiences as well. And it could be in college as well. Go ahead. Um, Well, I have to say, being um, an Arab, it only really affected me once in high school. It was uh, my high school prom. Everyone wanted to go. My parents said no. It was absolutely not going to happen, which, I mean, I kind of figured. But as far as activities, I did go to a few dances. I was on the orchestra's dance team. My parents had no problem doing that. 
I was in a club called Diversity, which basically, you know, we want to let people know about other cultures as well. Honestly, as far as being uh, an Arab, it really didn't make a difference. I mean, I was a lucky one, but that was just my experience. I can also kind of agree with that. Um, one thing that um, my dad didn't want in the beginning was the fact that I used to uh, do plays and I used to get up on stage and, you know, be an actress or whatever. Um, but my dad wasn't really, like, happy about that. But I finally told him, like, that's what I want to do. So if you, you know, would please respect that. And he, we had a compromise and we talked about it and he was just okay with it finally. He came to one of my shows and he saw why I liked it so much. He saw that that was my passion and he, after that, finally let me, like it's it's normal. It's like he let me go through with it and I got to do it in high school again too. And then even being in Arab Student Union right now in college, my dad's like, you got to focus on school, you got to focus on homework. Like, no, like, I want to do organizations. I want to be an Arab Student Union. It's something we get to help people out. We have events like this where we share stories and we all become like a family. So I thought that was pretty good. I liked that. Uh, I went to prom. The only reason I did was all the movies I've watched that made prom look like this amazing thing that you have to go to. It was like a life-changing experience. But it really isn't. It's bad. Like, I regret going. It's Teachers are dancing with you. Like, you want to get away from that. You don't. They're right there. And it's, it's like, too strict. Um, like, going to high school, I, I couldn't wait for my senior year to go to prom. Ended up going with a couple of friends because nobody wanted me. But it's okay. But, yeah, prom is not that good. So if you didn't go, you didn't miss out. Well, in high school and over when I was younger, I couldn't do anything. My parents really, really strict. I didn't go to any dances or any, like, I only went to one, like, a few football games, and that's about it. And it was my brother's football games. It was not, like, anyone, like, after high, when I went to high school. And I really, like, I really wanted to go to, like, dances and experience and, like, because all my friends were, like, American, and they were, like, always talking about it. And I was so, like, in, like I was interested. I was, like, I asked my parents, and they said, no. And I was, like, okay. Like, I was terrified to ask them at first when I was younger. But then when I got to high school, I was, like, I asked them, and they are like, no. So I was, like, okay, thank God I didn't bother asking when I was younger. So that's – and my parents are really, really strict. Like, like when – like I said, here is different than overseas. Here is like they have, especially because I'm a girl too. They're more strict on us, and well, for most of us, everyone's living like a different lifestyle, and that's what I think. Thank you, Like in my high school year, I participated in soccer. Yeah, I was a captain on the, my soccer team in high school. It was a good year. There was a lot of nationalities in the soccer team, so like there was no difference between anybody of the players. Everybody was treated equally. It was good through my whole year. Even here in college, I played for Moraine. We had like also maybe 12 nationalities on the soccer team. We had from all over. Like we had Brazilian kids on the team. We had Spanish kids. We had we had two Arab guys. Me and another guy. It was a good year. So like I never felt. I'm out of anything. I never missed anything. It was good. Like, everybody was treated equally. 
Did your parents have any problems with you participating in any of the activities or dances and things like that in high school? Actually, yes, of course. But to me, I went to the dance. But I told them I'm going to Aros. So <laughs> it really so, so, it was okay. Um, he told his parents he was going to a wedding. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what an Aros is. So he dressed up to yeah. go to a friend's wedding. And he went to the school dance. So... That's course, what I mean when I say we negotiate things. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I ended up going, but that's it. But they would not let me go if they knew where I was going. They never knew. So, Alat, don't feel left out because Dia also experienced the same thing. Amen, would you like to share anything about your experiences in high school? When it was me growing up in high school, my parents thought I had like no friends that were female. They thought I only had guy friends, so then... One day I told them I was going to hang out with a bunch of friends, and then they found me, and I was with girls too, and, and they got real mad, like, they get, they think, like, because, like, our religion, like, boys and girls aren't supposed to go out and stuff, and they see me, and they, they always assume the worst, they, they don't assume you're doing, like, you're just friends or anything, and of course, I couldn't go to prom because they know what it is, my mom was born here, my dad was born there, my mom knows what prom is, and, uh, basically that's about it. Thank you. So you mentioned, Amen, that your mom was born here yeah. and when you grew up here and your dad was born overseas. Did that ever affect um, you growing up and how were they able to, you know, um, to, I guess, like my, my word today, negotiate, I guess, that they're both their Arab and American identities together raising a family? It was always hard for both of them because the lifestyles they grew up in are both different. My dad, his whole life was in Palestine, and my mom's was an American, so, like, the way they viewed things were way different. And according to my mom, like, she wanted me to do something one way, and my dad wanted it another way. They would both argue, and then I would be kind of confused because I'm in the middle. Which one do I pick? If I pick one, I like my other parent more than the other, and it was always a fight. So then they started to realize what they were doing to us, and then they kind of just decided to negotiate, like she said her word. And... uh figure out what to do and tell us one way so they both would have to agree on it throughout their life. Thank you. Did anyone else have parents that had to compromise sometimes or did you come from households where most of the time parents agreed on how to how to raise you and so on? Anyone? Zaina? Okay. Um, well, my parents were both born in Palestine, but um, my dad was kind of more laid back. My mom was the stricter one so when it came to many things it was kind of my dad's like yeah you know if you want go ahead you know go to the dance my mom's like well what are you gonna be wearing who are you going with this this and that and it was kind of very stressful because it was you had one parent who's yeah go ahead you know I trust you do what you need to do and my mom's is like the exact opposite she wants to make sure that her you know her daughter's being the best person she could be so it was difficult, but it was definitely manageable, and it honestly it helped a lot because you really did see two different perspectives. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about education. We're here in an educational setting. You're all students at Moraine Valley. Many of you, when you introduced yourselves, talked a little bit about how you plan to transfer. Um, how important is education um, in your household and um, during your plans for school, did your parents participate? Were you able to uh, make educational plans as you wanted? Did you choose to come to Rain Valley on your own? Tell us a little bit about your experience in 
with education? Uh, my dad sees education as very, very important. He does not want me doing anything, not working, not getting married, not doing anything until my education is done. Um, he sees that, that, you know, if you don't have school, if you don't have anything going for you, then how are you going to move up in life? And it's just like anyone else right now. I'm a regular college student. I want to go up in life. I'm very motivated. I have a drive to succeed. And I think that that's very important. My dad, like, coming here at the age of 17, he saw that, you know, he wanted to go to school and he wanted to become successful. And I think he'd want that, of course, for his kids and anyone else that is, um, is here and trying to be something. Um, well, my house, honestly, education's like, number one. Do not talk about anything else but education. We understand that, you know, coming from Palestine, it is a little harder to get a good education, get a good, you know, job, and really be okay for the rest of your life. That's why, for my parents, especially because, you know, I am a girl, and, you know, it's not... Women aren't really appreciated as much as men are sometimes, and my parents really want me to have the confidence to, to have an education, to really know where I'm going and not really think about anything else. Okay. <laughs> well, education is really important to my parents, but I'm the only one that is going to college. My brother's only graduated high school, and they, they attended Marine for like half semester, and they, they just gave up. So they're relying on me, and they're very supportive with what I'm doing. First of all, they didn't want me to come to Marine Valley. Um, I, entered, I went to Jordan to go, once I finished high school, I went to Jordan, and I went to a university there. I started off there. And then I had to come back because my dad um, had a heart attack. And I, my parent, when I came back, my parents didn't want me to go to Marine Valley. Why? Because the reputation that they heard and that and I tried to convince them but that's a no-no so I changed my major and I went into I went to Robert Morris University and things fell back you know and then I had to come to Marine they had no choice for me to come to Marine to start off to start off my two years because traveling back and forth it was so hard on me and that was really difficult for them to accept me going to Marine Valley we're going to talk a little bit about Moraine Valley and why it may be a struggle for some parents to encourage their children to come here and in the Arab community. Um, anyone else want to talk about education and their family? Um, education in my parents' eyes is, like, very important, like everyone else's parents. Uh, I was kind of, like, forced to, like, look up because my sister graduated two years early from high school. So I was kind of like, you have to do what your sister did. you got to be as smart as her. So also I graduated early. But my parents also want me, like, what I first wanted to do, I wanted to be an accountant. And then my dad didn't like it. He said it's not in demand. So he also forced me to change my major. But I didn't mind because I knew if I had, like, the right, right mindset, I could do what I wanted. So then now I want to study management information systems at UIC. And he agrees with it because it's a good job. And about it to me about my education I was never forced to do to go to school or anything it's just a choice my dad gave me if you want to go to school I would help you if you don't want to go to school I won't help you just do everything by yourself so after I looked like how people live like how most of the Arabs in the states live 
I decided to get my education in engineering and go back overseas. Uh, so your plans are to go overseas, yeah. not to stay here. Oh yeah. Okay. And why do you? Um, I'm learning something new today. Why do you? Why would you like to go back overseas instead of staying here? I think that's my country. Like back overseas, wherever I go, it's, that's where I want to live. I just like it there more. Maybe. You spent the majority yeah. of your life there. Exactly. Yeah. It's better. It's life-wise, it's way better than here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For those of you that reflected a little bit on your experience of um, your parents not wanting you com to come to Marine Valley, and you mentioned the word reputation, for those of us that work at the college and we are also members of the community, sometimes we hear things about Moraine Valley that we know are not true because we know this is a very top-notch college and we're all thankful to um, be employed here and to be here. Um, for those of you that had an impression of Moraine Valley prior to coming here, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you discovered once you came here? And why do people have an impression in the Arab community about Moraine Valley that may be one way or another? <laughs> All right, so I came to Moraine Valley and my dad was like, be careful, there's a lot of Arabs there. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean, you know? like. Is that a bad thing? No, he's just like, just be careful, you know? And I kind of heard a few things, oh, you know, Moraine Valley Arabs. I never really understood it. I came here, honestly, I saw very great people. I met amazing people, especially in Arab Student Union. And I came here not knowing what the big fuss was all about. There are some people that, you know, caused a little commotion, caused a little, you know, areas where, you know, they might be a bit louder, but there are the Arabs here that you've never seen before, and you're like, oh, you know, they're normal, they're, they're perfectly fine, they, they're not causing a commotion and stuff, and I think it was just the fact that, you know, word spreads about, you know, this person is doing this at Moraine Valley, and they assume that it's everyone when it really isn't, and it's actually a very good school when it comes to that kind of stuff, and I'm, I, am, I am truly enjoying my two years here. I actually do, don't really want to leave. I was trying to decide on what school I'd go to, and I'm like, which one is more like Moraine Valley? So I chose Governor State. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Um, you know, it's funny because just recently my uh, dad was saying how my younger brother, there's no way he's coming to Moraine Valley. And I looked at him like, your two daughters just went to Moraine Valley. What are you talking about? And he was like, oh, my clients were saying that, you know, Moraine Valley this, Moraine Valley that. And it's funny because it's the same two reasons that I hear from everyone else. First of all, there's a lot of Arabs in Moraine Valley. And second of all, no offense to the boys, but the, the boys at Marine Valley are trouble, whether, you know, you're a girl or you're a guy. And it was funny because I found myself defending Marine Valley because it honestly is such a good school to start out with. It's definitely a great option to use. First of all, it's cheaper. And second of all, I mean, the professors here, you know, they really do help. But we do ourselves, like us Arabs, we do tend to bash on other Arabs at Marine Valley. Yeah, some of it is true, but some of it's not. And I feel like a little part of, you know, the Arab community, they make Marine Valley seem so bad when it really isn't. Thank you, Hanan. I know you have a test to study for, but we're happy that you're here with us today. Anyone else? And that's fine. Hanan Marine. And I think... Also, like, there's a lot of opportunities here. There's a lot of clubs that you guys can join. It's, I know all of you think that, oh, my God, it's only a community college. There ain't nothing. You know, you're going, it's nothing to you. You're going to university, and 
whatever you you know it's not important no it's important there's you, there's a lot to put on a job on a college application on your especially university what you did what you accomplished the recommendations from teachers if you don't know if you don't if you're not in an organization or anything or any clubs what what are you going to do there's nothing that so you've had a positive experience because you've been involved. And involved in I do want to say um, not only are you involved in Arab Student Union, and that's been leading the way for a lot of our Arab students to participate in Relay for Life. So thank you for that. Um, anyone else want to talk about their experience at Moraine? And then we're going to be getting into questions from the audience in just a minute. I kind of like Moraine. It's a good school to start with. Always the classes, like the science classes here, compared to UIC or any other universities, is way harder. Here it's so easy. It's very easy. No matter what math class you take, if you go to university, it's going to be times two with the hard. Like, it's going to be very hard. So starting off here, I really like it. I finished exactly two years. I have two years left. I really studied hard. I worked hard. I finished two years. I liked the school. All my classes were straight toward my program. So I just, I started up right. If you start up right in, in classes, you'll end up very good. But if you start like low classes, you're going to need time, but you'll get there. Thank you. I'm going to ask the audience if they have any comments or questions. Um, you know, I have several more questions that I can ask our panelists, and some of our panelists have to go to class or study for an exam. But I'm going to open it up because we have many Arab Americans in the in the audience. Maybe they want to comment, maybe they agree or disagree with something they heard today, or maybe they just want to ask a question. And, and for those of you that are not Arab and um, do not identify um, with Arab heritage, it'd be great to hear from you what some of your comments or questions may be. I, I see a hand up here, so I'll walk over here. Please tell us your name and feel free to make your comment or question. Okay, my name is uh, Nadim Ajabri, but uh, my mom changed it to Demonte for some other reasons. But uh, I definitely uh, see where they're coming from. I'm, a, I'm a, probably a little bit older than them, but I was uh, raised in California. Uh, I am Arab and black, which is two strikes against me, um, <laughs> and Muslim. So, but uh, about the cultural thing, uh, in California, it, I just want to touch on this. In California, it is totally different than over here. Over here, uh, it's, it's um, I would say it's more like a um, dog-eat-dog -dog world over here. The Arab tend to judge another Arab totally unbiased, unwaverly whatsoever. I mean, I've been to the Arabi stores, and they don't know that I'm Arab because I look more uh, black, I would say. And they call me Abid, oh, look at Abid, you know, he's a Harami, like this, you know. And I look at him and say, why would you say that? You know, saying, you're Muslim, I'm Muslim. Oh, I didn't know, you know, Salaamu Alaikum. And after that, they'll feel bad, you know. And so... Um, I kind of wish um, I'm going to join, but but uh, I would just like to say that uh, I kind of wish that there was more half and half Arabs out here. Don't feel uh, that you're not Arab or you're not something else, you know, because more than likely uh, you can join in and you know just say your word. So that's why. Thank you so much for sharing, Nadim. I really appreciate that. And uh, shout out to Kelly. I was born and raised in California too. <laughs> Uh, so I know where you're coming from. And actually, one of our panelists that had to leave earlier today, Yazan, he, um, he spoke in our pre-meetings about how his dad is actually part Brazilian. And we've had students in the Arab Student Union that are half German, half Palestinian, 
half Italian, half Palestinian, you know, just a mix of different backgrounds as well. And so we would, we would love to have you. Other comments or questions? And also, Jihad Ali is still here. Please feel free to, to ask her any questions as well. Comments or questions from the audience? Don't be shy. Come on, guys. Anyone? Jihad, would you like to make any remarks from some of the comments that you've heard our panelists make or things in the audience? One of the first things that the students were talking about was the use of Arabic. And one of the things that I always think about when I think of language is that it's a tool and that it's a resource. And so I think of Arab, Arabic, the Arabic language, but not only the Arabic language, Arab culture in general as a tool um, and that I constantly have with me and that whenever I need it, it's there. Um, so not just being able to speak Arabic, because if you can speak Arabic, you can communicate with a whole lot more people than if you can't speak Arabic, right? Not just the people at the automobile stores. <laughs> so that's one thing. So it's a tool. It's a means of communication. But the other thing is if you understand how certain parts of our culture work, um, that is also a tool. And so for every little part of our culture that you learn how to navigate, negotiate, balance, that's a tool. And, and I always think about that. So I, I have to learn my customs and how things work in the United States, but I also need, that's very important to me, I need and want to learn how customs work for my family, people like um, people who are Muslim or people who are Arab or specifically Palestinian, in my case, how those things work, um, because I think of those as tools. So I always want to be appropriate, right? So when you're working with a certain community, for example, we work on 63rd and Kadzi, in what is pri primarily right now an African-American and Mexican community. So I want to be appropriate. These are my neighbors. So when they come into our space, it is, it is important for me to know how to work with that community. And similarly, it is important for me to know how to, you know, talk to the grandpa at the Arab store or talk to, you know, Ammo. Ammo is just an Arabic word meaning uncle, who, whose traditions are more culturally based um, on, you know, the, the culture that he knew, learned back home as well as um, people who are born and raised here in their culture. So I just wanted to say that. I always think of it as a resource or as a tool, and, and, and learning those things um, is, is, a, is a privilege. And also just to piggyback on what Jihad is saying about the language, and I heard from our panelists today how important it is to know the language. I do want to say it's also a, a luxury for you to be surrounded by so many people that speak the same language and understand the language, because growing up, where I did in Northern California, there was not a large Arab community. I almost went through culture shock when I moved to the south side of Chicago about eight years ago at the large number of Arabs living in my space, uh, not living in my space, living in my community, um, in particular, a large Palestinian population. And so um, when I grew up in California, there wasn't a large community. There, were, there weren't several Arab schools, Arabic schools to choose from, Arabic slash Islamic schools that we see here in the community. Here you can kind of choose. There's, you know, Arabic schools popping up all over the place for preschool age children. Um, what I did, though, as a parent now that I have children is um, enroll my daughter who's six years old in Arabic school on the weekends just so that she could pick up the language and read and write at a young age because although my husband was raised on the south side of Chicago and he knows the language well um, and we speak, um, pretty well his reading and writing and my reading and writing is not strong. So for those of you that are enrolled in Maha Suez's class, Suez Tababna, which I actually need to take this class as a refresher, and I would start in Arabic one, I'm sure. Um, you are really, um, like Jihad said, giving your, 
giving yourself a set of tools to use. Um, and so be thankful that you have that at Marine Valley. That is not a class that is readily available at colleges across the country, especially to have it in a community college and to have several levels that you can, can move up, then it's just, it's excellent that we have that here. Okay. Um, other comments or questions? Yes, Mahas. Go ahead. Offers for them if they speak Arabic. Like every single day, I receive emails different places. Do you have any students who took like the 16 credits? We want them to work with us. So, a lot of job offers these days for students who speak Arabic. Like you have to speak, read, and write Arabic in modern standard Arabic, not spoken language. Because if you are from Palestine, you will speak Palestinian dialect or from Jordan. So, in our classes, we teach it as a modern standard Arabic. So, wherever you go in any government job they will test you with modern standard Arabic, which is really very good opportunity. You can have it like a side job in the future if you speak, read, and write Arabic. Thank you. Very good point. So more opportunities come along with knowing the language. Um, one other thing I was going to touch on, as you mentioned, you know, the different dialects, depending on where you come from, from the Arab world, there's different dialects that we have, depending on what, and you can nod your head if you agree or, you know, nod no if you don't agree. Depending on where you come from, the way you speak may be different. So if you come from a specific village in Palestine, for example, you may speak a certain way, okay, and you may have a certain accent. And we have these, sometimes in the Arab Student Union, we have a lot of fun. We have these Falahi versus Medini arguments. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with Falahi refers to more like a village or, or peasantry really historically is the way that Falahin were known. And Medini means like city dweller, people from the city, people from a Medina, a city. Um, and so there are different accents and different ways that words are, are spoken, depending on if you came from Amman or from um, Yemen or from Egypt. There are different dialects and, and different words spoken. Okay. Um, any final comments or questions from our panelists that you would like to say to the audience or last thoughts? Join ASU. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Julia. Go ahead. I was saying that from, coming from an African-American background, I really admire the Arab community and the Hispanic community because it's such a tight unit, like everybody's together. And uh, sometimes I kind of wish it was like that with the African-American community, so I do admire that. And whenever I'm around Arabs, you know, I'm treated like an Arab, I'm, you know, I'm like right at home. So I'm wondering, you know, since Arabs are so inclusive and they bring people in, I was wondering, is there sometimes where you all feel like outsiders, where you can't reach out to people? Because you bring people in easily, but do you do you feel like you reach out um, in a good way, if that makes sense? <laughs> Just to clarify, are you asking if anyone has ever felt like an outsider? Okay, go ahead. Well, from preschool to third grade, I went to a private school, and then once Which I went to I went to Aqsa. It's in Bridgeview, right across the street from the mosque. And once I went to a public school, I felt like everyone was different. Like, this wasn't the place I should be. But after, like, knowing that, like, there's other people like me, um, 
like I finally started to get I felt like I was getting accepted but before I felt like I was completely different like people looked at me different like I was a weird kid like I wasn't the same person they were and then once I real like I started making friends like everyone started to accept you like it's like the new kid that comes to school like you're not gonna make friends with them the first day but like you're gonna finally get to talk to them after a while anyone else anyone in the audience My name is Daisy. Um, I'm full Mexican. I chose to take Arabic class because I think it's important to be educated and get educated. Um, the perspective of Arabic people um, with Mexicans is pretty bad. So I have a lot of Arabic friends that grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood, so they speak Spanish. So I just think that um, it's important if you're Arabic and if you know somebody who isn't of your culture to educate and um, don't get offended if we ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. So, yeah, just want to say thank you. Um, I'm helped a lot in my class. And thank you. And we encourage questions. I saw a hand up here, and then I'll come to that. Yeah, I just, um, I just wanted to comment on that um, I remember in um, high school, in my freshman year, I was the only, I wasn't the only girl. I wasn't the only girl. I was like one out of like five girls that wore the ABBA. And I remember in junior high, I was, it was normal because I wore jeans and a shirt. So I kind of like got along with everybody. But then in high school, it was kind of hard to like show your personality to your friends or like your, your classmates. So show them that you're normal and you're like, you're fun to talk to. But because you're, I wore the ABBA, it was kind of hard. But then, um, remember sophomore year and junior year, it was kind of like, I kind of was like, forget about it, you know? And I've kind of like, um, I kind of forced people to know who I was. Like in class, I would um, participate or I would go up to people and try to talk to them. So that's how I, um, like freshman year, I felt left out, you know? It was kind of hard. But then sophomore year, I was just like, whether you like it or not, this is what I'm wearing and this is my personality and you're going to like me. <laughs> You know, so, yeah. uh, Seg? Yeah. But there was a lot of hijabis. It was just that there wasn't a lot of um, girls that wore the abba. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, okay, so let me go here, and then I'll come right back here. Um, hi, good afternoon. I'm just trying to make a comment to support my classmates because they come from mixed backgrounds. And I'm Hispanic, but I marry a Palestinian. He's Arabic and Muslim. So throughout my years of being married, you know, I got very judged by a lot of Muslim people, um, my in-laws also. And now that I have kids, it's hard for them because they're getting, you know, judged. They're getting comments that, oh, your mom, she doesn't wear the hijab. You know, you guys are going to go to the fire. So it's been very um, hard for me to understand and accept a lot of comments, not only coming from other people, but also from my own family and my in-laws. But, you know, you, we have to learn that, you know, this country, the way that I always tell my kids, we come from uh, d diverse um, backgrounds, from diverse countries, and we got to understand that everybody came to this country so we could get better. Our parents and us, I was raised here and I was born here, and um, my mom, she's Mexican, my father, he's from Brazil. We just got to accept everybody, and we cannot get judged by the way we look. We got to get judged by the way our heart is and the way that we carry each other. So as long as you respect everybody and, you know, you understand that a lot of people are not going to be across 
you in your life, and they're going to understand the way that you are. But we just got to hold up our heads high and just say, you know what, I'm here for a reason, and everybody at the end of the day, you know, we came from God. So that's what it is, and we just got to accept the way that I said it, you know, accept everybody because, you know, we're here and we're family at the end. The student here, thank you for sharing. Um, I just like, I really admire the Arabic girls here, that, the ones especially that wear the hijab and the abaya, because that shows that they're courageous and that they're not afraid from what people think. And to be honest, about Moraine Valley, I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff too, but I think it's a great school. I wish the girl that left was here, the one that was... And um, when, what she was saying about Marine Valley, like about the Arabs, to be honest, like I come from a Palestinian background. I've lived there most of my life. But I've never seen how Arabs like sometimes like to talk about other Arabs behind their backs. I didn't like that. I mean, we should not bash each other. And we're all a unity here. Like, like this is an Arab state union itself. And uh, we've been talking so, uh, about every good thing that's going on with Arabs in Marine Valley, but I believe to get better you have to accept that we have problems, you know, we have faults, because nobody's perfect, no community's perfect, no race is perfect. And, uh, yeah, that's it. What is your name? Abdullah, thank you for sharing. There's a comment up front. And you are right, and every group has um, its faults, and thank you for bringing that to light because it's something that we need to keep discussing and we have been discussing in our, in our circles. It's fine. Go ahead. I'm Eamon. I think as Arabs, we have to uh, educate others who are not Arabs and don't know about the Arab culture or Muslim culture, and we ought to educate them about uh, what we're all about and how we're about peace and uh, how we're about friendship. And like you were saying, um, I, I walk around the hallways a lot, and I always hear other Arabs talking shit about, or I'm sorry, talking smack about other Arabs, and it's, um, it's really discouraging, because we're all family, and we're all uh, sisters and brothers, and we shouldn't be doing that, and um, also I think that for the girls who don't, do not wear hijab, I think you guys are fine, the personal choice, and um, I respect all of you guys, and thank you. Thank you. Um, appreciate you sharing your comments. Just watch the language sometimes. The list was circulated and somehow stopped, so I'm going to pass it around again. Um, one sheet is full, and then we have a sheet that's still empty, so please give us your contact information so we can stay in contact with you. Um, I do want to say um, that these discussions that we're having and some of the issues that you're mentioning, we're going to continue having these discussions, and actually tomorrow's a really good opportunity for you to participate in another discussion that will be held in B265. And it's a, it's a discussion with our Arab students about opportunities here at Marine Valley and then also a chance for you to be vocal about what you think some of the issues are that we need to address with our population here on campus. It's at 3 o'clock and again is in B265. Um, and so feel free to participate, bring your friends, and it will be your chance to share some of the things that you have shared today in a setting where there are um, staff and faculty that work here that will be willing um, to hopefully address some of these issues that you may be having. 
The Arab Student Union is a great outlet to get involved and share culture and traditions. We also have the Muslim Student Association on campus. We have classes readily available like Arabic for you to take that many of you are, are already enrolled in. And then we have community organizations like the Arab American Action Network that you heard about today and the flyers and pamphlets were circulated. Um, please make sure that you support each other here on campus regardless of what your background is. Um, here at the community college, the great thing that we have is a sense of community and support. And before I let you go, we do have one of our members, Zaina, who'd like to just give a special thank you gift to Ms. Jihad Ali, if you could come up to the front. And this is just a little token of our appreciation uh, from the Arab Student Union and a memento from Moraine Valley for you to remember us. So thank you. And thank you all for coming out today. Thank you for participating. Thank you for your comments and questions. And I hope to see your faces again. And thank you to our panelists. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.